Good morning, Redstone Church. Uh, we are in the second part of our Advent series this morning uh, called Fulfilled. And if you were here last week, uh, Jerry talked to us, uh, walked us through the first word of our series, and that word was planned. And it was God's plan from the beginning of time to send forth his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Jesus, fully God, fully man. And if you missed last week, I would encourage you, go back to the uh, Redstone Elizabethan Facebook page. Be sure to listen to this message, because it sets it up so well for what we're talking about this morning. But also, this is just such an important theological truth that you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to remember and, and really know and understand that Jesus was and Jesus is fully God and fully man. He wasn't partially God. He wasn't partially man, because he never lost his deity, right? He never fully diminished uh, his, his perfect character. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. How amazing is that? And yet he came. He came into the world in the flesh to dwell among us, to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And he felt real emotion like we talked about last week. And he felt the things that we felt, yet he was perfect. And he was without sin. He was totally blameless. And so this is where I find great comfort in knowing that God, that Jesus is fully God, fully man, because he empathizes with me. He understands my struggle. He understands my weaknesses. He helps me in my temptations. He's a comforter and a friend. And he came to earth fully God, fully man. This was God's plan. To send his one and only son to be Emmanuel. God with us. And Jerry also reminded us last week that everything that we see in the Old Testament points to the New Testament to the coming of Christ. And so if you grew up in church, you might have heard some Old Testament stories that you're like, well, this seems a bit random. And I don't quite understand where this fits in the greater context of Scripture. And so when you see the greater narrative of Scripture, you see that all the Scriptures in the Old Testament, the stories, the characters, they point to a greater person that would come in the New Testament. And these uh, stories and characters, they're certainly not there haphazardly. They're not there without purpose. They're pointing to the, the promised one that would come, the greater Adam, the greater Moses, the greater Abraham. And also, if you didn't get one of these uh, inserts last week, uh, there's also one in your bulletin. It's just this little white sheet of paper. I would encourage you, uh, take this home with you and uh, let this be a devotional time for you personally, for you and your spouse, for you and your family. This is such a helpful tool. And the great thing about it is uh, each day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So you got five days here. Um, that's all focused on Old Testament sacrifice. And these Old Testament sacrifices are pointing to the greater sacrifice that would come who is through Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you, use this as a, a personal devotional, especially in this Advent series. Um, and if you are a part of a family, I would really encourage you, take one of these. The staff would love to give you one of these. They did a great job putting this together. And uh, sometimes it's hard as a parent to know how to uh, lead um, your kids in a devotional, especially when it comes to some of these bigger theological concepts. And so a way to really break this down and make it understandable, they've done. And this is a great tool for you to use. So I would encourage you, use this um, as 
as a reference point to disciple your children. All right, this morning, I want to continue our Advent series by talking about the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, if you uh, have not been around church uh, for a long time, or it's been a short time that you've been involved in church, you likely have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the Abrahamic Covenant. But my goal this morning is to open up the scriptures and really help connect the dots for us um, to see how this covenant is fulfilled in Christ. So if you have your worship guide, go ahead and pull those out. If you want to look in your scriptures, that's great too. This will also be on the screen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So for this first truth that I want to share this morning, I want to hone in specifically on verse 1 here. The Lord said to Abram, go. So the first truth that I want us to see this morning is that God's command to Abraham was to go. God's command to Abraham was to go. So the Lord comes to Abraham, and his name was technically Abram at this moment, but for the sake of clarity, I'm just going to use Abraham. Uh, And he comes to him and tells him to leave his country, his family, to some land that he would show him. Now I want us to think about this for a minute. When God was giving this command to Abraham, he was 75 years old. Okay, so this is not a knock on our gray-haired brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, but rather an encouragement. Picture what's happening in here. Abraham is 75 years old when he's receiving this covenant promise from God. And he's being asked to go, to leave his country, his family. I want you to imagine what that was like for him. And imagine the way he's processing this in this moment. God, you want to use me? You want to use my life to bring about blessing to the nations? You want to make a great nation out of me? Yes, yes, and yes. And here's the deal. This was not about Abraham, okay? We see all throughout the Old Testament, Abraham made plenty of mistakes, okay? So Abraham is not the central focus in this story. But rather, God made this promise to Abraham And he wanted to use his life in incredible ways to fulfill his plan to bring about the promised one. So what's the encouragement for us in this? Why do I mention all of these these things about Abraham and his age and all these things? Here's the encouragement for us. The command for us starts the same way that it did for Abraham. The command is to go. Just like he told Abraham to go, so Christ tells us, To go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the great commission. God calls Abraham to go. He calls us to do the same, to go. And if you have breath in your lungs today, if you have a story to tell, if God has redeemed your life, go. Go and make disciples It doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or 75 years old or 95 years old. God calls us to go to make disciples of all nations. 
It doesn't matter if you don't have the right words to say, if you feel like you're too young or too old or you just became a follower of Christ. Let Abraham be proof to you and to me. Let him be proof to you and to me. If God can use a 75-year-old man, hear this, a 75-year-old man who had no children at this time to be a father of many nations, God can use you. God can use me. And he will. But here's the deal. We have to be willing, right? We have to be obedient to the call to go. Second truth I want us to see this morning. God's covenant with Abraham was unconditional. God's covenant with Abraham was unconditional. So in Genesis chapter 15, this is not in your worship guide. So if you want to pull uh, that up in your scriptures, we'll read that through that in just a moment. But the Lord appears to Abraham in a vision. And he affirms him and reminds Abraham that he's his shield and that his reward would be great. And Abraham replied, this is where we see the really human side of Abraham, right? He replies with doubt. And he says, what will you give me, Lord? He says, I'm going to die without children. He says, you haven't given me any offspring to continue this lineage that you've promised me. And he says, God, you're not going to give me my own son. So here's what I'm going to say. Eliezer, who's my head servant, he'll just be my heir. And the Lord responds to him and he says, Eliezer will not be your heir, but rather your very own son will be your heir. This was God's covenant to Abraham. Then God brought Abraham outside and he told him to look at the night sky and he said, look toward heaven. And I want you to number the stars, Abraham. And I want you to try to count those stars. I can imagine Abraham was looking up, trying to count them if he could, right? Obviously that's not possible. What does the Lord say? He says, so shall your offspring be. That is the promise to Abraham, that he would make many, many descendants through Abraham and his lineage. I want you to imagine what this was like for Abraham. God told him that he would extend generations and generations and generations through his life. Abraham was 75 years old, had no children at this point. He would make him a great nation. That he would bless him, he would make his name great, be a blessing to the peoples of the world. This was God's covenant promise. He was unconditional. And I want us to see this clearly. This is God's covenant with Abraham, okay? So this is God initiating this whole thing. He was the one who sustains this covenant, and he is the true promise keeper. And because this was God's covenant, it was unconditional, and so I want to take a moment just to zoom out for a bit and talk about what a covenant is. Because covenant is not one of those words that we typically use in 2020, right? To, uh, to have uh, general conversations with one another. It's not a part of our normal vocabulary. And so in simple terms, um, when you sign a lease on an apartment, your landlord doesn't sit down with you and explain uh, your uh, details of the covenant that you're about to sign, right? But a covenant is simply an agreement between, between two people. So in this particular circumstance, I agree to pay rent on the fifth, of month, uh, the fifth of the month. The landlord agrees to fix my refrigerator, right? You get the picture there. And when you're in agreement with someone, you're promising to follow through with what you're saying. So this isn't just a nonchalant verbal consent that I just give, but it's a promise. It's a promise to stay true to the agreement that you make. 
And so there are all kinds of uh, covenants throughout the Old Testament. And don't feel like you have to write these down. But God made a covenant with Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.15. He made a covenant with Noah in Genesis 9. With Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15. With Moses in Deuteronomy 7 and Exodus 20. With David in 2 Samuel 7. I could go on and on and on. There are tons of covenants all throughout the scriptures. And I don't have time to go into detail about all of these, but... You see this all throughout the scriptures. God makes a covenant with his people to bless them, to cause them to flourish. And what do his people do? They fail, right? They sin. They make mistakes over and over again. And then God brings judgment upon the people. And then they realize their wickedness and the mistakes that they make. And so they repent. They turn back to the one true God. And then what happens? They fail again, right? They make mistakes, and there's this cycle, this repetitive cycle, over and over again. And here's what I want us to see. You know what God is doing, despite all of the failings and mistakes and unfaithfulness unfaithfulness that his people are making? God's keeping his covenant. God is keeping his covenant with his people. He's staying true to his promise because he's a good God. He's faithful covenantal promise keeping God and it's unconditional and here's what I want us to see about why it's unconditional Uh, go ahead and turn to Genesis 15 if you haven't done so already we're going to start in verse 7 here and it's also going to be on the screen it says this and he said to him I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess but he said O Lord God how am I to know that I shall possess it He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So that's a pretty strange passage, right? (laughs) Probably not one you're eager to read to your children before bedtime. What? They cut the birds in half? What? Right? Like, that's a pretty strange passage. But here's what I want us to see in all of this. What's happening here is the Lord is confirming his covenant with Abraham that he made back in Genesis 12. And so the way that biblical covenants went down were pretty intense, (laughs) as you can see from this passage. And so cutting animals in half... And walking between the two parts was actually customary in covenantal ceremonies. And so what that symbolized is that if either of the two people failed to hold to their promise in the covenant, they would meet the same fate as the animals described in this passage. And so Jeremiah says it this way in chapter 34, verse 18. In the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. So you read that and you're like, whoa, this is serious business, right? They're not messing around with this covenant stuff. After Abraham was given this promise to God, here's what I want us to see. Abraham still made mistakes, right? He was very human. He had a flesh, and he gave in to his fleshly desires. If you know Abraham in his life, he pawned off his wife as his, as his sister. He doubted. Abraham was fearful. He was unfaithful at times. And so in a normal covenantal ceremony, it would have been customary for both parties to walk the aisle through the cut open animals. 
And this, what this indicated is that they were both going to hold up their end of the agreement. So if that's the case, Abraham's a goner, right? Abraham doesn't stand a chance because he's been unfaithful. He's imperfect. He hasn't held to the promise. And he's deserving of death. But hear this. The Abrahamic covenant was not normal. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. And here's where I want us to jump down to verse 17 of Genesis 15. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So here's what we need to see from this verse. According to this verse, you know who did not walk the aisle of blood between the cut up animals? Abraham. But you know who did walk the aisle of blood between the cut up animals? It was God. It was God. And God chose to do this through a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Why he chose to do that, I don't know, but he's God and he can do that. But here's what I want us to see. Don't miss the significance of this. God was saying to Abraham, listen, Abraham, if you are not faithful to the covenant, here's what I'm going to do. I will take your place. I will walk the aisle. I will pay the penalty, Abraham. God was taking Abraham's place. This is a covenant of grace. You know what it's based on? It's based on the faithfulness of God. This covenant is based on the unconditional, covenantal, promise-keeping God. And that leads me to my third and final truth here. God is faithful to keep his promises. God is faithful to keep his promises. On July 1st, uh, 2017, I was standing next to Spencer Teal. Uh, many of you know Spencer, and I had my suit and tie on, and uh, there were a couple hundred people in front of us, and the song My All in All by Phil Wickham started playing. And I could so intensely feel the excitement and the nervousness and the anticipation setting in. I began to sweat. <laughs> it was hot. It was July. My heart was beating so incredibly fast. And I'll show you this picture. This is what was happening in this moment. I looked up to... <laughs> that was my daughter. I looked up to God in this moment. And I said, Lord, please don't let me ugly cry right now. And my eyes were puddling up. And two seconds later, my bride walked down the aisle. And as you can see, her eyes are puddling up here, which obviously made this next picture happen. <laughs> I ugly cried, as you can tell. I lost it, you guys. I completely wept. I mean, it was the most beautiful, surreal moment I've ever experienced in my life. And after I gained my composure, which to my embarrassment was way longer than uh, I was expecting, we continued on with the ceremony. And it came to the part in the ceremony where we shared our vows with each other. And uh, this was so special uh, for Madeline and I. These are promises that we made to one another. And so I wanted to share with you some of these promises that I made to Madeline on our wedding day. Madeline, as I stand before our friends and family who we dearly love, I make these promises to you. I promise to honor you, respect you, and sacrifice myself for you. I promise to deny myself, 
to take up my cross and follow Jesus alongside you. When days are difficult, I promise to encourage and uplift you. When conflict arises, I promise to seek reconciliation and love. I promise to humbly serve you and remind you of how beautiful you are. I promise to trust you and be trustworthy in return. I promise to protect you and be the spiritual leader of our home. I promise to be faithful to you all my days. I promise to love you as Christ loves his church. With the grace that God gives me, I promise to reflect Jesus to you and always point you to his perfect and steadfast love for all my days to the glory of God. So these words are super significant to Madeline and I. They're promises that we made to one another, not just on our wedding day, not just for a season of life, but until God calls us home. And as much confidence as I take in the promises that I made to her and the, the promises that she made to me, you and I need much bigger, <laughs> much better promises than any human promises that could be made. Because here's the deal. I love these promises that we made to one another, but they're imperfect. We're human, human beings. We're going to fail and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin against each other. And so I've already failed multiple times. That's the reality. There have been plenty of moments throughout our marriage that I haven't sacrificed myself for her. I haven't always chosen reconciliation and love. I haven't always humbly served her and reminded her of her beauty and been the spiritual leader of our home. And in the midst of that, there's been lots of I'm sorry's, right, and grace and love extended with one another. But the point I'm trying to make is this. My promises will fail. And so you and I as followers of Jesus, we need to fix our eyes <laughs> We need to fix our hearts on the one who will never fail us and the one true promise keeper that will always be faithful to keep his promises. And that is in the Lord, right? And this morning, what I want us to see is that from Genesis to Revelation, God proves. He proves through his scripture that he's faithful to keep his promises. And we see all throughout the Old Testament, God fulfilling prophecy in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at different Old uh, Testament scriptures together and see how God has kept his promises and brought about the promised one, who is Jesus Christ. And some of you might be wondering, well, I kind of know what prophecy is, but not exactly sure. So if you're not familiar with prophetic literature, that's okay. Uh, a prophet is essentially someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. And so throughout the Bible, God often used these prophets to boldly speak in their generation about the importance of knowing and following God. And so they would care about, uh, excuse me, they would uh, share about coming judgment and warn people to turn back to God and turn back to his word. And God also used prophets in the Old Testament to speak about the things that were to come in the New Testament. And so many prophets throughout the Old Testament, they spoke about Jesus Christ about his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his role in the church, and so much more. And so some scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And these prophecies are specific enough, check this out, that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. And so Peter Stoner, who is uh, the chairman of the Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College, he looked at eight specific 
prophecies about Jesus. And he came up with extremely conservative uh, probabilities for each one being fulfilled. And then he considered the likelihood of all eight of these prophecies coming to fruition. And so this is the conclusion that he came to in his research. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in ten to the 17th power. In his book, Science Speaks, he described it like this. Let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of ten tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them, and then you ask a blindfold man to draw, to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten, right? Then suppose that we take ten to the 17th power of silver dollars and we lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state of Texas two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Now I want you to blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. I want you to think about that. The Old Testament has over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled have come true in the New Testament. And so I want to share just a few of these with you. And I don't want to go into too much detail in all of these because I don't want to jump too uh, far ahead in our Advent series. But I want us to see how God is faithful to keep his promises. So remember, back to Genesis 12, Abraham receives this covenant from God. He's been told by God to leave his country to a land that he would show him. And he told Abraham that he'd make him into a great nation. He'd bless him. He'd make his name great. And through this covenant, God promised to bring about blessing to the nations. And here's what he also promised. He promised to bring about redemption. He promised to bring about redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. Like I said, I'm just going to mention these because we're going to come back to these next week. But this is where the Abrahamic covenant comes full circle here. So this is where we see prophecy being fulfilled. Acts chapter 3, this is in your worship guide. It will also be on the screens. Verse 25 and 26. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Who has received this promise given by God to Abraham hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago? We have. We have received this blessing. We have received covenant fulfillment through the person of Jesus Christ. Aren't you so thankful that God is faithful to keep his promises? Aren't you so thankful that his love is unconditional? Aren't you so thankful for the promised one who is Jesus Christ? His birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, that he would give us a living hope. He's come to us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. In Isaiah 7, God spoke to the reigning king at that time, King Ahaz. And he gave him a sign about the coming king to be born. And his name would be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Isaiah 7, 14, it was foretold. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so we see in the New Testament that God made a way for Mary to conceive a baby supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. God fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah 17, excuse me, Isaiah 7 and Luke 135. And it says, And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In the book of Micah, it was promised, excuse me, uh, prophesied that the Messiah would not only be born, but also the exact city that he would be born in, Bethlehem. Check this out, in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. We see this fulfilled in Matthew 2, 4 through 6. In assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. One of the most amazing miracles that God performed was the birth of Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the cool thing. Both the books of Isaiah and Micah were written over 700 years before the birth of Christ. Think about that. God was faithful to fulfill his promise 700 years later in bringing about the miracle of Christ's birth. And as we all know, Jesus didn't stay a baby it wasn't God's plan that he would stay that baby in a manger, but that he would send the promised one as a baby, but to grow up, to live free from sin. Jesus, totally blameless, knowing that he would one day go to the cross to take upon his body your sins and mine. The penalty that you and I deserve to pay because of our wickedness, just like that Acts passage said, he paid he paid the price for our wickedness. Where animals in a covenant were broken in half, so too Jesus' body was broken for you and for me. Just as God walked through the aisle of blood, passing between the pieces through a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, so too Jesus' blood would be poured out as the atoning sacrifice for your sins and mine so that we could come into a relationship with a holy God. And that would bring about a new covenant. And in this season of Advent, we remember what it was like for the nation of Israel to wait. To wait upon this coming Messiah. We remember what it was like for Israel to wait upon this promised one that would be brought about through the Abrahamic covenant. And he has come. <laughs> he has come to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We are still in this season of waiting, right? We're waiting for him to come back for us. We're waiting to be united with him once again. This descendant of Abraham would bless all the peoples of the world. This is the good, faithful, covenant-keeping God, his promise. He gives us this future promise. And here's what we get to look forward to, you guys. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. 
And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. The Abrahamic covenant has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This is the promise that he made to his people we can know, we can trust in the faithfulness of God. He's a good, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, faithful God. And I eagerly, you guys, look forward to this day. I look forward to this day when we will all be around the throne worshiping King Jesus, the one who was slain for us, the one who sacrificially gave his life for you and me, his blood to cover us, freeing us from sin and condemnation, giving us hope and joy in the gift of eternal life. That is the promise that we get to look forward to. And so in this season of Advent, we wait, but we wait with hope. We wait with joy, right? And we wait with hope and joy because of the good news of the gospel. And maybe you're here this morning and you are just now understanding what Jesus has done for you. And maybe this is all clicking for you, and, or maybe you just have questions about who this Jesus is. I would encourage you. I'd love to talk to you about this. One of the staff team would love to talk to you about this, about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Guys, aren't you faithful for the covenant-keeping faithfulness of God? Pray with me. Father, we love you. We worship you. You are so uh, worthy of our praise, our affections, desires. And um, God, I thank you that this covenant was not on Abraham. I thank you that this covenant was fully your idea, that you are the one who sustained it. You are the one uh, who brings this promise covenant uh, about. God, if this were on the faithfulness of man, we would be, we'd be done. <laughs> But yet it is about you, Jesus, and about your faithfulness. I thank you that the gospel is the same, that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the pure gift of God to make our way to you. Not that anyone, Jesus, that you would in efforts us, that you would be born in a manger, that you would live a sinless and perfect life that you would be fully God, you would be fully man. You would empathize with us in our weakness. You would understand where we are in our temptations and our comforts. And yet you lived a perfect life. You died the sacrificial death that we deserve to pay for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way where there was no way. 
Thank you not just for the cross, but for the empty tomb and that we have a living hope. You have overcome sin and death. We have joy. We have hope in this life because of the good news of the gospel. And we eagerly look forward to the day that we will be at your throne worshiping you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. God, would you find us faithful now to proclaim this good news, to proclaim this message, to go just like you called Abraham to go and just like you called us in the Great Commission to go, to be faithful witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, that you would receive all of the glory, all of the praise. We ask these things in your name.